All right, will you please take your Bibles this morning and open them with me to the book of Romans, chapter number 1. Romans chapter 1, we will be reading verses 1 through 17 for context. I don't even know if all 17 verses are going to be on the screen. They, they may be. I, I can't remember if I put them up there. But uh, Verses 16 and 17 in particular will be the focus of our attention this morning, but I do want to read it for con- context. We're going to be returning to our series in Mark uh, next Sunday, but today let's read from Romans chapter 1 beginning at verse 1. Follow along with me as I read. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. Father, we ask your blessing upon this reading of your holy word. It is inerrant, it is authoritative, it is sufficient. Now take this word as it is sown in our hearts this morning, water it by your Spirit so that it would produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. On October 31st, All Hallows' Eve, in 1517, 503 years ago, a German Catholic monk named Martin Luther nailed a document called 95 Theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. His actions sparked what became known as the Protestant Reformation. 
This document was called 95 Theses because it was essentially 95 statements of protest or complaints against the theological errors and abuses of the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century. Not the least of which was the church essentially selling forgiveness through the practice of granting indulgences. An indulgence was, a, was an official church document approved and granted by the Pope that would bypass the normal rigorous process of penance and grant the forgiveness of sin. Roman Catholic theology of salvation was then and still today is a complex sacramental system of sin, confession, absolution from a priest, penance, restoration, But indulgences offered then a shortcut to forgiveness. It could be purchased with a simple payment of money, money that was used to fund various building projects of the church, including St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Friends, this this was incredible corruption. And by God's sovereign grace, the eyes of Martin Luther were opened to this perversion of the gospel, and so he protested. One of his 95 theses says this, Christians should be taught that if the Pope were acquainted with the exactions of the preachers of pardons, he would prefer that the Basilica of St. Peter should be burnt to ashes and that it should be built up with the skin, flesh, and bones of his sheep. By the way, the the, the theology of the Roman Catholic Church that Luther protested has essentially remained unchanged since the time of the Reformation. There remains major theological differences between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism. That cannot be understated. But the Protestant Reformation was not merely a protest against the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church. It was a a rediscovery of the biblical gospel that had been hidden beneath centuries of ritualism and mysticism. And the rediscovery, this rediscovery of the biblical gospel came by way of five principles of the Reformation. They are Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and the glory of God alone. These are what we call the five solas of the Reformation. Sola is a Latin word meaning alone. And these five gospel principles can be stated this way in, in, a, in one sentence. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, on the authority of Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. The operative word here is alone. Over against the sacramental system that mediated salvation to sinners. And the central point of the Protestant Reformation is that everything that needed to be done to accomplish 
The salvation of sinners is found solely and only and completely in Christ. And it becomes ours by simple faith in Christ alone. But the gospel principles of the Reformation didn't just rescue us from the errors of the Church of Rome. They are just as relevant for us today in an increasing age of compromise and confusion in the church. You see, of all the uncertainty that this year, 2020, has brought us, one thing has become certainly clear. And that is that the church in America is once again at risk of losing the gospel. Not to the indulgences of the Roman Catholic Church, but to the idea of salvation through social justice. There is a very dangerous movement making waves, even within conservative Christianity today, called wokeism. You may have heard of it, but probably not. So at the risk of oversimplifying it, let me, let me define it this way. Being woke, W-O-K-E, woke, means being enlightened to the systemic racial injustices of American society. In the church, woke Christianity is essentially a social justice gospel. It is, friends, essentially an unholy marriage of the principles of Black Lives Matter and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woke ideology claims that whiteness is inherently racist and that the only way for a white person to atone for their racism is to admit their guilt and repent of their whiteness and white privilege. This is why over the past several months in America, we have seen pictures and videos on the internet of white people on their knees before their black neighbors and friends asking for forgiveness for their racism and the racism of their ancestors. That's the ideology. It's woke. It's woke ideology that's driving that kind of practice. And those who repent of their whiteness, by the way, I don't, I'm not white, okay? And neither is anyone in here. This is white. You look at your page of your Bible, that's white. We're shades of brown. We all come from Adam's loins. There is but one race, the human race. Those who repent of their whiteness must join the woke cause. Friends, this is essentially a sort of woke penance. And this is one of the reasons that so many Black Lives Matter activists are white. They're woke. 
Now, brothers and sisters, I want to be very clear. I want to be abundantly clear so that you cannot mistake anything I'm saying this morning. Where racism and prejudice exist, and it does exist still today. Where it exists, believers should be the first to condemn it, to call it out, and to call for repentance. It doesn't matter your skin color, what shade, how much melanin you have in your skin versus how much melanin someone else has in their skin makes no difference. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a disciple of Christ, you should be on the front lines calling out racism, calling out prejudice. But to claim that white people are by default racist and need to repent of their so-called white privilege simply because of the color of their skin is itself a racist and prejudiced statement. And yet this movement is insidiously sweeping through the church. It's coming in through the sermons, the lectures, the articles, the blogs, the podcast of mainstream, well-known and well-respected Christian leaders. You would recognize their names. Wokeism in the church is essentially a form of salvation through social justice. And friends, it is the enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is the anti-gospel. And so the gospel principles of the Protestant Reformation that rescued the church from the error and abuse of the Roman Catholic gospel of works in the 16th century must once again rescue the 21st century church from the false gospels of our time. And nowhere in Scripture do we see the power of the gospel more clearly explained than in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. So I want us to look at it together this morning by way of three headings. And the first is that the power of God to save is found in the gospel alone. The power of God to save is found in the gospel alone. Verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Do you know why preachers and pulpits are increasingly disappearing from churches in America, being replaced by life coaches and entertainers? Why pastors are using more and more drama, more and more high-tech presentations and fun and games in their, in their messages? It's because we've become ashamed of the gospel. A few weeks ago, I mentioned this bizarre trend in the church where pastors were ziplining onto the stage from the back of the church. You know, why do so many feel the need to do shenanigans like that? It's because we've lost confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When churches begin to look to new techniques and strategies and all these other methods to fill the pews, the first thing to go or to be tweaked or modified is usually the preaching. 
In many churches in our day, the pastor's responsibility to call people to repentance and faith in Christ is being replaced with a call to self-love and self-help and social justice. We're ashamed of the gospel. You see, the gospel is good news. But the reason it's good news is because there is some bad news. And that bad news is that all have sinned. We read it this morning in Romans 3. All have sinned against the holy God, the creator and sustainer of every cosmic square inch of this universe, and He will hold us accountable. He's not going to sweep our rebellion under the cosmic rug, as it were. We will answer for our sin. That's the bad news. You see, there is no gospel apart from sin. And sin is a subject that no one wants to talk about anymore, but friends, we must. Because the only message with the power to rescue us from sin is the gospel. That's why Paul says it is the power of God unto salvation. In His wisdom, God has determined to save sinners through the proclamation of the gospel. Now, whether that be here from this pulpit or whether that be at your dinner table with your neighbor or at the coffee house or on the street corner or in the church parking lot during trunk or treat, it is the proclamation of the gospel that God has determined to use to save sinners. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the what? Power of God. You want power in your life? Hitch yourself to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you ashamed of the gospel this morning, church? Are we ashamed of it? You know, in our, in our uh, opportunities to witness and our personal evangelism to others, sometimes we have to be willing to talk about things that are uncomfortable. Is that right? We can't just say, hey, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Friends, that is not the gospel. But it goes well on bumper stickers and refrigerator magnets. That message will not save anyone. We must admit, we must come to terms that we are sinners who stand under the judgment of God. If that reality never comes up in our gospel conversations with people, then we're really just offering them a way to improve the life they already have instead of helping them see that they are dead in their sin and must be born again. This is why, brothers and sisters, we just cannot stop with just John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. No, that's that's true, but we must read on. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. 
And then here's the rub. Whoever believes in Him, Christ, the Son, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe, Jesus said, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Friends, unbelievers are condemned already. They are lying on their back, staring up at the guillotine of God's wrath that will come down on their head This is the message of sin and salvation through Christ, the gospel. And that is where God has put His saving power. And we cannot be ashamed of it. It is foolishness to those who are dead in sin and dying in sin. But to us, it is the power of God. Before we move on to our next point, in Romans 1, verse 16, notice that Paul says... The gospel is the power of God into salvation for who? Everyone who believes. There is no sacramental process that we must go through. There is no woke repentance that we must go through. There is only simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. For everyone who believes, no matter our ethnicity, no matter our culture, our language, the color of our skin, our socioeconomic status, it is for all who will believe. That's the power of the gospel. Secondly, we see in this passage that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel alone. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel alone. Verse 17, take a look at it with me. For in it, in what? The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. God is altogether righteous. We are altogether sinful. So then how can sinful people be reconciled, be made right to a righteous God? How does that happen? It is only through righteousness that that can happen. But we aren't righteous, are we? And no good works, no acts of penance can ever merit enough righteousness to satisfy the infinite righteousness of God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you consider yourself a good person? Do you think that an infinitely righteous God can be satisfied by your best effort goodness? It is the basic question that we often ask so many times in our own personal evangelism. If you were to stand before God at this very moment, and He asked you, why should I allow you into my kingdom, what would you say? How would you answer that? If you say, well, God, I was a good person. I never, I never killed anyone. I never raped anyone. I tried to be kind to others, I tried to help others. I helped a little old lady across the street one time. I, I even stopped on the interstate one time in the pouring rain and helped a, a, a person change their tire. I always went to church and I even voted pro-life at every election. Friends, if you think like that, 
that you neither understand your sinfulness nor God's righteousness. This is why we need the gospel. Because there is no other message that reveals the righteousness of God and how to be made righteous before Him. This, friends, is why the Catholic Church to this day, still to this day, perverts the gospel. Because they mix man's works with God's grace. Salvation is still held behind a sacramental wall where sinners must labor through a meritorious system of works. And at the end of the day, all that you do may still not be enough and you end up in purgatory. Listen, I know there are many here with Catholic backgrounds. Please understand, I am not trying to offend you. I am trying to show all of us that any gospel that mixes works and grace diminishes the finished work of Christ on our behalf. And now, this new woke gospel does the same thing by holding salvation, by holding righteousness behind a wall of social justice so that only those who repent of their racism, who repent of their white privilege, their bias, their sexism, their misogyny, their bigotry, and their hate, whatever phobia you can think of, only those who repent of that can be righteous. But they always define the terms. They define the terms of surrender and repentance. Friends, we must flee to Christ today. Because the only true hope that we have of being righteous before a righteous God is to actually possess the righteousness of that righteous God. And the only way that we can possess that is through the person and work of His righteous Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 2 Corinthians 5.21 captures it. This is the heart of the gospel. For, for our sake, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what I call the great transaction of Calvary. All the vile sins of all those who would ever believe were laid on the sinless shoulders of Jesus Christ. And they were accounted to Him, though He never sinned, so that His sinless righteousness could be accounted to us. And we might be declared righteous and just by a holy God. This is the gospel. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Very briefly, our last thought from this text. The righteous live by faith alone. Look at verse 17 again. For in it, 
that is the gospel of Christ. For in it the, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Listen to what, oh, listen to what that great Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said about this verse. This is the famous text which was the means of the emancipation of the soul of Martin Luther. I have stood at the bottom of the Santa Scala or Holy Staircase at Rome which is superstitiously believed to be the very one down which the Savior came from Pilate's hall, Spurgeon says. I have never gone up those stairs because no one may go up them except on his knees. Perhaps you've heard of this place. And I would not do that, Spurgeon says, but I have walked up and down the steps by the side of them. There are certain holes cut in the wooden floor which encases the marble staircase. And that wooden floor has been worn away many times by the pilgrim's knees. There are places cut where the priests say that the blood of Jesus fell in order to enable the poor followers of superstition to kiss the spot where the blood drops fell, I have seen scores of men and women going up that staircase on their bended knees, for they are told that there are great indulgences to be obtained by crawling up those stairs. Spurgeon goes on, Luther was doing this, for he had gone to Rome determined to get rid of his sins, if possible. And while he was in the middle of that slavish Toll, seeking to gain everlasting life by his penance. This text came to mind. He had read it in the Bible in the monastery. The just shall live by faith. And to the astonishment of those who looked on, Luther rose from his knees never to go up the holy staircase anymore in that fashion, for he had discovered that which he was looking for, the true way of living. And you know, that it was not long before he wanted to tell others of the life and peace that he had discovered. The just shall live by faith. You know, all throughout this message, I have tried my best to connect the dots between the theological errors and abuse of the Roman church in the 16th century to this new woke movement taking our nation, taking conservative Christianity by storm today. I don't know that I've done that well. I hope so. But here's the takeaway. Both wokeism, Catholicism, and pretty much any other ism They are, they are works-based systems. One requires submission to a sacramental process of merit and grace, and the other requires submission to an ideology of justice and equality. And the underlying idea in both is that we are made right, we are made righteous with God by doing something. But the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul was unashamed of here, says that we are made right with God by believing something 
or more rightly, by believing on someone. And so righteousness then comes not by works, but by faith. The righteous live by faith. Paul said in here in verse 17, from faith to faith. That means from beginning to end. All of life is by faith. We don't live according to a system of confession and absolution and penance or according to repentance from our whiteness or our blackness or whatever we are or our life of privilege. Or be, we, don't, we don't live by becoming an activist for gender equality or social justice or any cause for that matter. We live by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Yes, friends, the Reformation still matters in 2020. And what we need to realize this morning is that even though we may not yet be very familiar with wokeness, rest assured that the next generation is. So we can't afford to sit comfortably in our pews while this Antichrist ideology infects the church. We need to nail our own protest against the doors of the evangelical church today and say that we reject any message or ideology that diminishes the sufficiency of Christ's completed, finished work on the cross We don't need to bow the knee and ask for our neighbor's forgiveness to atone for white privilege. We already have a sufficient Savior who paid our sin debt and we bow our knees to Christ and Christ alone. Friends, church, we will not be woke. We cannot be. We need the Reformation today like never before. We need the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture like never before. We need salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone like never before. We need to flee from these man-made movements and be once again consumed by the glory of God in salvation like never before. Oh, that God would grant it. Starting here, In this church today, let's pray.